Hi there. Thank you for choosing to listen to this sermon. We pray that God would use this as an added resource to benefit you in conjunction with you belonging to a local church near you. This sermon was preached at Central Baptist Church, Pretoria. 130 years of believers loving God, caring for one another, and impacting the world. Right, would you turn to Nehemiah chapter 4? We are in between a series at the moment, and it is our intention the week after next to start preaching the same passages both at the Hill and Arcadia at the morning services. So we're going to synchronize our preaching, and we're going to be starting off on uh, going through the book of Second Corinthians. But so this morning, Nehemiah chapter 4, and uh, just before I start reading, to say that this chapter comes in the context of Nehemiah and the people of God going about the work of God. And uh, we pick it up in verse 1. Now when Sanballat heard that we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged. And he jeered at the Jews, and he said in the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they, will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burn ones at that? Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him and he said, Yes, what they are building, if a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. Yeah, O oh our God, For we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in the land where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt and let not their sin be blotted out from your sight. For they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. So we built the wall. And all the wall was joined together to half its height for the people had a mind to work. But when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward, that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem to cause confusion in it. And we prayed to our God and set a God as a protection against them day and night. In Judah it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There is too much rubble. By ourselves we will not be able to rebuild the wall. And our enemy said, they will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. At that time the Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said to us ten times, you must return to us. So in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall in open places, I stationed the people by their clans with their swords, their spears, their bows. I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, to not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives and your homes. So when our enemies heard that it was known to us that God had frustrated their plan, we all returned to the wall, each to his work, And from that day day on, half of the servants worked on construction and half held the spears, shields, bows, coats, uh, coats of mail. And the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah. We were building on the wall. 
Those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored on the work with one hand and held his weapon with the other. And each of the builders had his sword strapped at his side while he built. The man who sounded the trumpet was beside me. And I said to the nobles and the officials and the rest of the people, The work is great and widely spread. We are separated on the wall, far from one another. In the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. So we labored at the work, and half of them held the spears from the break of dawn until the stars came out. I also said to the people at that time, Let every man and his servant pass the night within Jerusalem, that they may be a God for us by night, and may labor by day. So neither I, nor my brothers, nor my servants, nor the men of the God who followed me, none of us took off our clothes, each kept his weapon at his right hand. So just so far, Lord, we uh, thank you again for the word that comes to us week by week. And Lord, we have been worshipping this morning. We've been, I certainly sense that your spirit is uh, presently working in and among us as a local congregation and church. And so as we turn to this word, we pray for ourselves, Lord, as a body, as a local church. We pray also, Lord, for us as individuals as we engage uh, the, the challenges and the difficulties of life that inevitably come. And so enable us to look to you, to trust you, and to receive your word by faith today. In Jesus' name, Amen. I want to begin and introduce the message today by uh, um, telling a little bit of a story about a, quite a well-known person by the name of Thomas Edison. I think some of you will remember that name. He will be remembered... I think for many years still to come, as an amazing character. Just to give you some examples, thanks to his genius, uh, even we today make use of the microphone. He invented the microphone. He also invented, young people, boys and girls won't know what a phonograph is, because they have uh, MP3s and MP4s, but in the old days they had a phonograph, and in my generation we had a record player. So that's thanks to the genius of Thomas Edison. He also invented the incandescent light bulb. That was before we had LED light bulbs. And uh, nevertheless, he was the one who eliminated the candle. He also invented the storage battery. Talking movies. Putting sound to a movie. And many, many other inventions. But the point I want to make about this man today, he was a man that refused to give up. He was certainly resolute. And there's a story told on a certain freezing December 1914, the cry of fire was heard and echoed through the factory. What had happened was that spontaneous combustion had broken out in the film room, and within minutes, all the packing compounds, the celluloid for the records and film, Other flammable goods were in flames. Fire companies apparently from eight surrounding towns arrived, but the heat was so intense and the water pressure so low. By the way, there's no water today, so if you go to the loo, just understand that. So they also, the water pressure was low. It was low. And and so the, the attempt to douse the flames was futile. Everything was destroyed. When he couldn't find his father, now this is the point I'm getting to, the son became concerned. Was he safe? 
with all his assets going up in flames, would his spirit be broken? After all, he was now 67 years old. Then in the distance, young Edison saw his father running toward him. Where is mom? shouted the inventor. Go get her, son. Tell her to hurry up and bring her friends. They'll never see a fire like this again. (laughs) Early the next morning, fire barely under control. Edison called his staff together and he made an incredible announcement. We're rebuilding. Didn't give up. He went on to say, We can always make capital out of disaster. We've just cleared out a bunch of old rubbish. We'll build bigger and better on the ruins. The story ends with this comment. Shortly after he yawned, he rolled up his coat for a pillow, curled up on the table, and immediately went to sleep. Edison didn't give up. He was not easily discouraged. He was not easily trampled underfoot. I have a problem. I'm not like Edison. And I'm I'm fairly convinced that most of us here this morning struggle with discouragement. Edison seemed to be an unusual character with an unusual disposition. He was not prone to discouragement. He was not prone to want to give up. Unlike many of us, most of us, more like Nehemiah. That's the transition I want to make from from this uh, introduction. Most of us are like Nehemiah and the people living in Jerusalem. When faced with challenges and difficulties and hardships, for them it was the rebuilding of the wall of Jerusalem and, and certain difficulties that arose, we get discouraged. We, we get downhearted uh, while doing the work of God. It's, it's very easy to become discouraged. In the course of life, with many of its ups and downs, disappointments and hardships, in the course of ministry, in the context of the local church and in the broader context of even denominational work, challenges are inevitable and opposition is real. And not only in the context of, of, of life in general, we, 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 we can be specific. It, at the workplace you can get discouraged. <laughs> Being a parent can sometimes be extremely difficult. Being concerned for, for, for your children in not following a particular path that you had hoped and intended and prayed for. As a spouse or, or perhaps even serving in the church. Discouragement can easily affect any one of us, even men and women of faith. So I'm preaching this message to myself today, to be honest. And uh, I wondered if any other folk here today are discouraged. Just going through particular difficulties, you're feeling a sense of heaviness. You're feeling lethargic and perhaps even flat. Leading you to a place, because this is often what discouragement can do, it leads you to a place of wanting to give up. To throw in the towel as a pastor, as an elder, as a husband, as a parent. Sometimes even as a Christian. The story we read with the children today, do you see how easy, how easy uh, the one character just gave up? Just gave up. In the midst of difficulty, goes back to the city 
of destruction. And, 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 and any one of us can, can fall uh, in a similar way. And so I, I am going to this passage today because uh, I want to explore, I want to be encouraged and, and, and like any sermon, I'd like to preach it to myself first and of course preach it to uh, us as a family here at the hill. So my first point this morning is we do need to identify some of the challenges. My youngest daughter has a phobia for snails, and particularly the slugs. The slug is the one without the shell. Especially when they leave that snotty trail, do you ever see it in your home, that snotty trail along uh, the carpet, and they do so in their pathway of trouble. I've repeatedly said to Shelley, just pour some salt on the snail, on the slug. Have you done that, boys and girls? What happens? It just frizzles, frizzles, dies. Your troubles are gone. So we, we all know that snails are vulnerable to salt. There's a vulnerability. Salt fries snails. You can pour some baby powder over a snail and nothing happens. But salt is deadly. Now why is that? Why is that? There is something about the chemical composition of a snail that reacts, the chemical engineers can tell us about that, it reacts to sodium chloride. That's as much as I know. The point is that you and I get discouraged because like snails, we are vulnerable. We people are vulnerable. And so we, I want to this morning go a little bit deeper than, than just Nehemiah chapter 4 and understand something of the nature of our chemical composition. What is it that affects us and makes us vulnerable and, 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 and prone to depression or, or discouragement or being downhearted? What is it that makes us so vulnerable to slip into discouragement so easily? Number one, we are, and I want to add a word, we are all emotionally fragile. Each one of us sitting here, older people and younger people, the, the reality is we are feelers. We are feelers. God has made us as emotional beings. Isn't that true? We laugh. We cry. We get angry. We, we grieve. We, we have this wonderful capacity to love. And sometimes, sadly, we hate. And, and we become downhearted. We're feelers. We, 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 we're not just, uh, uh, robots. The psalmist, uh, expresses this struggle in a well-known psalm, a favorite psalm of mine with his affliction in Psalm 42, uh, verse 5. He, he asks himself, why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? You see, he, he understood he, He's not a robot. There's blood pumping through his veins. This is not uh, uh, an individual and, and you are not someone just made of silicon chips to, to operate in some kind of mechanical and electrical fashion. 
We are infected by all sorts of influences that can change the way you feel in an instant. I've learnt in this grieving process the word ambush. Just something like that. Ambushes your feelings and from crying you can be in tears in a moment. We're all like that. We're emotional. We're fragile. Our emotions are more like a crystal glass which can so easily shatter into a thousand pieces in an instant with the slightest bump. But I want to add, our emotional flimsiness exists, that's a fact. But it's exaggerated, it is exaggerated because we have a further debilitating problem and I've called it we are spiritually flawed. You see, not only are we feelers, but we have this invasive, deep-seated problem with a sinful nature. Right at the beginning, Adam and Eve, the beginning of of creation, uh, Adam and Eve were flawless, made in the image of God. But with their disobedience and with their sin came depravity came brokenness and and, 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 and that which manifested as self-consumed ego. In its worst expression, ego says that I am the most important. We all suffer with that kind of leaning. Sometimes even thinking ourselves more important than God. Thinking of ourselves more important than other people. And so ego promotes self-importance and, and it reacts badly to any kind of challenge. You see our vulnerability? How easily we can be affected? While we have these differing degrees of sensitivity and reactivity, the slightest bump and we are hurt. Our egos in some measure acting and reacting And I think we need to see this, either like the salt, the one being the perpetrator of hurting others, or sometimes being like the snail, being the the recipient, the victim of attack. Which leads me on to my next point, which really now moves on to the passage. Uh, Having established something of this vulnerability that we have, I want to see now what happens in this chapter 4 of Nehemiah, and I've entitled it, Forms of attack. Going back to this chapter, just reminds me that there's nothing new under the sun. People back then, uh, BC, before Jesus, hundreds of years before Jesus, and in the years thereafter, and even in 2023, there are these forms of attack that are prevalent. Just look at them. The first one, I'm just going to run through them quickly. The, 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 the attack of undermining comments. Sanballat, with Tobiah, and their crowd of supporters, what did they do? They marched into the city of Jerusalem to launch an attack on the Jews. God's people doing God's work. Very important that we see that. The attackers are intent on disrupting the work of God. Now let's not forget, there's the struggle 
between the seed of the woman, as I mentioned earlier, and the seed of the serpent, the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. The kingdom of darkness will always be producing perpetrators, seeking to destroy, seeking to harm the people of God and the work of God. And the powerful weapon of the tongue, not even using spears and and swords, the tongue was used to discourage and to distract these Jews who were busy doing God's work. Have a look at the first verse. When Symbalat heard that we were building the wall, he was angry, greatly enraged. He jeered at the Jews. Now remember Nehemiah, right at the beginning of the book, he, when he heard that the walls were down, his heart was, was, was hurting within him because this was not, uh, th- th- this did not reflect well on the reputation of God and his people. But the opposite is true of these enemies. He jeered at the Jews. What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in the day? Do you get the point here? The the tongue, the tongue has been used to ridicule the people of God, to be sarcastic towards the people of God, to insult the people of God, to mock the people of God, and and so taunting them with critical uh, uh, language and, and speech. And folk, isn't it true that that wears any one of us down? It's so difficult to be a recipient. That's when the, the composition of our nature reacts to our vulnerability. But secondly, we notice in this passage a form of attack, exposure to a negative context. Some of the Jews lived where they were constantly exposed to the pessimistic talk of these enemies. And in verse 12, you can see that at that time, the Jews who lived near them, in their context, hearing them talk, being negative and and critical and misrepresenting uh, uh, the, the reality of what was taking place. They came from all directions and said to us, ten times, hey, come join us. Leave the work that you're doing. You see, they were affected. They were influenced. Believing that they were actually doing a good thing. They warned the Jews, convinced that the Jews in fact would be wiped out by the enemies. The point is that the negativity of the enemies rubbed off on the Jews. That's a lesson we can learn in the church. Be careful with the company you keep. Some people are toxic. It's a new word I've learned recently. They poison us. The kind of stuff that comes from their minds and their lips, negative and 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 and, and it's harmful. It it breaks down. It doesn't build up. It doesn't contribute towards unity. It doesn't contribute towards the accomplishment uh, of God's work. It doesn't recognize with gratefulness that which God is doing and that which God has done. And so we will so easily be prone to discouragement when we when we. Uh, are spending time, we run the risk of being in the company of people who are negative and critical. There's a third uh, element of attack. It's uh, something we need to be aware of. I just called it growing fatigue. Bottom line is we get tired. Physically we get tired. 
These people had been working long and hard. Uh, the novelty of the challenge that they had started out so well perhaps had been wearing off. They'd make progress, but they were only halfway. So we built the wall in verse 6, it says, and the wall was joined together to half its height for the people had a mind to work. Up to that point. Uh, when you get halfway, then you kind of think, oh, still another halfway to go. Us runners, we know that. It's terrible. Enthusiastic the first half, not so enthusiastic when you get halfway. They lost strength. And so it took it out of them. Their physical weariness affected their emotional strength. And so in verse 10, we have the record in Judah, it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. And so we need to be aware. We need to pace ourselves. We need to be conscious of, of, of the condition of our physical and even emotional well-being. Another important uh, cause of uh, discouragement and attack is what I've called loss of focus. The type of talk taking place over here uh, just shows something of loss of vision. And and something that we need to keep in mind, verse 10, in Judah it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. Now notice the next comment. There's too much rubble. So instead of keeping their eyes focused on the progress and the task at hand, they turned and saw all the rubble, all the rubbish. And they said, by ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. They saw dirt and dust and broken stones and walls incomplete. They lost sight of the vision. Finished war. Doing the work of God in the city of God. Restoring something of the reputation of the people of God and the honor of God in the city. As a church, we must keep focused in the vision that God has set before us. Clearly given us in the Bible, there's no uh, need to guess what it is. We must not let struggles and obstacles that may surround us to lead us to lose vision. I was looking back to the message that I preached at the opening of the Hill Campus. It was in June the 16th, 2012. And I preached the passage on the glory of God. And I hope and I pray that God will enable us as a church, as a people, to always remember we came to this part of the city. We do ministry in Arcadia, not just for ourselves. We do it because we want to spread the reality of who God is, the magnificence of His name, the attributes of what we understand He's given to us, the reality of His grace, bringing people to Himself and knowing Him. The vision, that's the vision. God, God is the vision. God uh, and His glory. Let's not get distracted with the rubble. But I want to move on now to my second point and uh, overcoming the challenges. How do, we, how do we cope? How do we move forward? Now we know that salt kills snails and that there's certain attacks that immobilize and bring about discouragement. Again, I want to go beyond Nehemiah because there is an important uh, approach and preparation that is necessary. 
we must always face up to our spiritual challenges and what are called earlier on the defective spiritual nature. But we all have it. We all have it. Even those of us who are believers, there are the remaining marks of sin. And so we, we constantly, those who are not believers, need constantly to be seeking the grace of God. And you cannot, you cannot seek the grace of God outside of the context of humility. I was thinking of a, a visible picture of that, and I thought to myself, an open hand represents humility. You know, like you see somebody standing at the robot. How do, how do they stand? They stand with an open hand. What are they saying to you? I've got nothing. I can do nothing. I'm, I'm destitute. Will you help me? It's not pretending to be somebody or anything or anyone. It's got an open hand. There's a humility. That's what we have to do coming to God. Whereas, what is the closed hand? The closed hand is I'm independent. I'm self-sufficient. I don't need anybody else. We can't approach life. We can't approach our Christian lives like that. And, and therefore Paul says to Timothy, You then, my child, be strengthened, how? By the grace that is in Christ Jesus. You will only benefit from the grace of God when you come in humility. The only way. Pride and arrogance and self-sufficiency will never, never lead anybody to a place of being a recipient of grace. To be strengthened. I just think of another verse that just comes to my mind from Hebrews chapter 4. It is those who come uh, before the throne of grace to receive grace and mercy in their time of need. But it's again those who recognize Jesus to be the provider. Humble dependence, an open hand. First and foremost, coming to Jesus who calls those of us who are weary and burdened to find rest for your soul in salvation, yes, but all the time, every day, right to the very end. And then, then there's some practical things we can do as well. Like, number one, rekindle purpose. Nehemiah turns their attention from themselves to the, uh, to the enemy and, and he gathers the families together with an immediate goal of defending them. He, he tries to say, but hang on, we've got a job to do. We're doing God's work. We're seeking to glorify God. So let's, let's see what we can do to continue this work. In the lowest parts of the space behind the wall in open places are stationed the people by their clans, their swords, their spears and uh, their, their bows. The God-given purpose drives the action. They, they, they are moving towards doing that which God wants them to do and, and, and not looking at the rubbish anymore. The second one, probably the most important one, turn your attention to God. I noticed in verse 9 that they prayed. It was a blessing to pray last night, by the way. I think those of you who are here, it really was encouraging to see the good number that came as we just once again uh, came before God expressing our dependence on Him. They looked to the Lord. Verse 14 as well, I looked and arose and said to the nobles and officials, the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. 
Remember the Lord. Now, remember the Lord. One has to double click on that, remember the Lord, because it's not just the Lord, as we think in terms of just the name, the Lord. We need to think about who the Lord is. That God is sovereign and He reigns over all people. We're going to see that again, as I said earlier, in this passage from Genesis that we're reading. God reigns supreme. But God is all-powerful, God is omniscient, He he knows everything, He's everywhere present, He's all-wise, He's self-sufficient. Let us remember these things of God. He's compassionate, He has redemptive purposes, Uh, God is loving, God is merciful. Remember God! When, 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 when you're down in, in the dumps, in the slough of the spawn, remember the Lord. He's great and awesome. We're told here in this verse, fight for your brothers, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. In other words, get the perspective right. The fear of the Lord is the cure for the fear of man. God needs to be big. And man needs to be small, not the other way around. When our enemies, verse 15, heard that it was known to us that God had frustrated their plan, we returned to the wall, each to his work. Looking to Jesus, just taking it through to the New Testament, the founder, the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, Seated at the right hand of the throne. So another practical way, um, maybe I should address those who are listening online this morning, but it does apply to all of us. Connect relationally with other people. It's very important. We are spread all over the city as a congregation for most of the week. We get together for an hour or two. And on your own... You're vulnerable. You're more vulnerable. You need the support of others. And so we see Nehemiah understanding this, and and he said to the nobles, the officials in verse 19, the rest of the people, the work is great and widely spread. We are separated on the wall from one another. And so verse 20, in the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there, our God will fight for us. And he, and he understands this principle of, of, of togetherness, of, of partnership, of, of relational involvement, of, of support. Again, if I can refer to the, the children's talk, it was help. My list, did I get that right? It was help who came and brought Christian out of the slough of despond. And we can be the hands of Jesus in seeking to help others in time of their need. God uses us as instruments. But for that to happen, there needs to be relational connectedness. There needs to be trust. There needs to be friendship. We find this in the Bible. David had a friend in Jonathan. Uh, Certainly a practice. Uh, I remember, was it Elisha and Elisha also? They were friends ministering to one another. Just a final comment here on, and a final point. Develop a serving others ministry and mindset. You see, if everybody is waiting to be served, nobody will be served. But if we all have a mindset that says, I'm going to serve, and everybody has a mindset, I'm going to serve, then we all will be served. That's, that's the way it's got to work. 
And, and so that's what we see here. We labored, verse 21, at the work. Half of them held the spears from the break of dawn until the uh, stars came out. I also said to the people at night, let every man and his servant pass the night within Jerusalem, that they may be a God for us by night and may labor by day. You see the cooperation. You see the, the serving. I'm not just looking out for me. Looking out for the community. And of course in our context, looking out for the church. We need to constantly be nurturing a way of life that is different to the world, that is different from selfish agendas. We often say we are walking in the steps of Jesus. But are we? Do we? We did not consider equality with God. Do we? Well, let me conclude. David asked in Psalm 42, Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Well, he had learnt the lesson and addresses himself in the very next phrase. Hope in God, for I shall again praise him my salvation. And, and, and the concluding comment here is discouragement is real. Discouragement is tough to handle, but it's not impossible. The odds are not impossible. God is great. God will achieve His purposes. God will carry His people through to the very end, sometimes through the most difficult of circumstances. So I have two uh, quotes in closing. The one is a, a prayer. From Romans 15 for each other. May the God of hope fill you with joy and peace in believing so that the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, so that, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Pray that for each other. But then as I went through my notes again last night, these words came to my mind. Well known hymn. Through many dangers, toils and snares, I have already come. This grace has brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. The Lord has promised good to me. His word my hope secures. He will my shield and portion be as long as life endures. Lord, thank you. Thank you so much for your grace. And may each one of us here today indeed have humble hearts and open hands, receiving from you, Lord, that we so desperately need, grace upon grace, lifting our spirits, lifting our heads, looking to you, the author, the perfecter of our souls. Pray particularly, Lord, if there be someone who is really struggling in that slough of despond, that they would have heard this morning, that your spirit would have ministered and continue even to minister now, bringing them to a place of hope and delight in you, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the sermon. Find out more about Central Baptist Church at www.central.org.za.